the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Orleans today for Cofield and Company. Bailiwick is open inside the fantastic pub they've got here. So come on down, get your seat early. Puck drop 730. We'll be hanging out through the first period as the Knights try to close it out. End this thing against the Wild. We, I'm not even going to say it. Uh, we're going to talk abs. I'm not looking ahead to the series that's potentially on the horizon with the Knights and the abs. We're just talking abs. Maybe there'll be just some in nice general. I don't want to. Don't want to get you in trouble for jinxing things because I know you were the one who requested an abs guest today. I've been, I mean, I've already been looking at flights, so if anybody's jinxing. Ooh. Why would you say that on the air? Got to plan ahead. Unbelievable. Because Wait, I know. Well, you're, you're the road reporter, so you need to be ready to go. And I also know that, and I say this lovingly, these lunatics are going to book up every single flight and room as soon as, as soon as the series is announced. That's a good point. I got to get ahead of the game. <laughs> Football frenzy time. The Tim Tebow stuff never dies because it's a crazy story. Michael Lombardi, who is a, uh, Mike? a tight tight pal. Oh, that's a that's a big one. I don't I don't know that Michael Lombardi likes being called Mike. Probably We're going not. back to yesterday where Mike Malone corrected an, uh, an NBA anchor Cassidy Hubbard during a live spot. She's like, "Hey, Mike, Michael, not Mike." Okay, Michael Lombardi. You know he's connected. You know he talks to people. Sure. His big concern with Tebow is what it's going to do to the team. And we've mentioned that as a factor. That that can happen in any workplace. When someone comes in with a big name and you look at them and you're like, I don't know if they belong here or they earned their way here. I don't think they can do the job. That can tear apart a company. And a football team is very much like your office, our office. So that's what Lombardi's concerned with. He said, uh, is Tebow ready to play now? Of course not. Meyer will learn that the hard way. The NFL is not college when it comes to player development uh, and time on the field. Meyer will lose credibility with his players the longer he allows the Tebow experiment to continue because, as we have learned over the years, Tebow won't be the one to end this masquerade. Uh, a lot of the same things that we've been saying, and you know, or at least I have, uh, the, this is the concern that you have, right? And, and I think this is part of, you know, it's part of the things we talk about of learning to coach on the job and learning how to how to do a job and like coaching is not just designing plays. Like there's a lot that goes into it, especially at this level, which he's never worked at before. And I think you'll learn quickly. What is one of the first things he did? And it was a massive mistake. Bring that Iowa guy in. In the locker room immediately was like, Bro, what are you doing? And now as he's trying to rebuild that trust after breaking it right away with that now all of a sudden, he's he's making a move like this, which we have no idea. We haven't talked to anybody in the locker room. We don't know, but there's enough out there to indicate that there is some 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 in the locker room that are saying, "Wait a minute." And if you think about, you know, how often do coaches like release a player, make a move on the roster, and like, "Hey, listen, this is this is a, it's just a business. The best players are going to be here." The best 53 are going to be here. The best 90 are going to be here during camp. That's all it is. It's all that matters. 
your your abilities are all that matters. You know, except this guy. Yeah. Except you know, that, okay, that's different. Sure. But you're going to ask everybody to be personally responsible, and that it's a business, and that you're not supposed to under you're not supposed to, you know, have politics and all these other things involved. It's just the best players out there. Now, I guess the comeback could be, yeah, it's a business. He sells jerseys, you don't. <laughs> Uh, it's a business, but that's not what they mean. And you know what they mean when they say that, Hey, it's the best players. Nothing else matters here. The best guys are going to be in the field, except that one guy. That's where you have a problem. Tweet earlier in the day from uh, Tom Pelissero does a nice job of covering the NFL. So Texan star Deshaun Watson won't attend OTAs and still wants to be traded per sources. Watson has denied wrongdoing related to recent lawsuits. Really? I haven't heard anything about that. It's under the radar. Should he have shown up just to test what the NFL would do? I think it would be awesome. What would the league do? It's going to work. You want us to come to work? I'm here. They said they're not trading me. I'm here. They would do whatever they could behind the scenes to be like, don't. Why? There's nothing settled with this case. They're just allegations. Yeah, but that's what they would do. They'd be like, Maybe maybe not the time. Did they tell Robert Kraft to stay away from the Patriots for a long time? Well, while that was ongoing? You mean their boss? The NFL's boss? Touche. <laughs> I mean, Robert Kraft is one of the five most powerful owners, and technically he is above Roger Goodell. Yeah. Goodell would have to run it by him and be like, hey, do you mind, for an optics standpoint, if, we tell, you, know, if, if you sit out for a while and, and Kraft would go, yeah, I mind. Okay, you, then we're not doing it. You do whatever you want, Bobby. That's essentially where it is. I, I, what would they do? What would they do if Deshaun Watson showed up? Nothing. But they, I mean, they would ask him. I'm sure. I'm sure that they would say, "Hey, could you not?" And then hey, he not? would test it. And He's I, not going to because the bigger the bigger play is is that he never wants to play for the Texans again. Exactly. Why would he go to the OT? Why would he go right. there? And why get in the way of the other nine guys that they've clearly brought in because they are getting rid of him? Well, to be funny. That's. Okay. I mean, that's that's the bottom. Line. You and I might do that. Sure. And and do it unannounced, like hey, go in. What's going on? I'm going to need 100 percent of the reps. I, I can get ready. Davis Mills, Ryan Finley, Tyrod Taylor. Who else did I dismiss? Wrong they order. just signed Jeff Driscoll. Well, Finley gone. I think. Oh, he did get he did get cut? I think Finley got cut after okay. they signed Driscoll. All right. I'm not sure on that. I'm just, I'm just spouting off nonsense now, but I'm pretty sure it makes gone. sense. It seemed like they had way too many people. Yeah, they need one. Yeah, Tyrod. <laughs> the worst so what's going on with eugene chung former offensive lineman in the national football league has had some nfl jobs and he says he went for an interview and the person interviewing him with a team said you're not the right type of minority yes Uh oh that's not going to sit well for the korean american eugene chung and it hasn't sat well no he hasn't named the team though no these ones are always very always very bizarre because it's you would love to hear the actual conversation. Like, I, it's hard for me to fathom. As much as I see race and everything, and I, I absolutely think that it's, it's a much bigger factor than most people do. Uh, it's hard for you to fathom what? I got to hear this one. It's hard for me to fathom somebody being dumb enough to actually outright say this. Really? Yes. With how comfortable people are? Yeah. In their him? ignorance? Oh, no, I have no doubt that after the interview, somebody probably went back to, to everybody else in the executive room and like, yeah, it wasn't the right kind of minority. Like, yes, of, of, yeah, absolutely. I could, I, I could also see the guy being like, I didn't know he was Korean. 
But in a one-on-one, what, what, what did you think you are? He was if he, if you're saying he's not the right kind of minority. That's a good point. He must know that he's coming yeah, in, right? Like you're sitting there going, like, "Hey, buddy, I got I don't know what to tell you. It's not the right kind of minority for us." Like that is just so insanely over the top. I mean, I almost applaud it. Being like, it's hey, really man, not, I think wear, wear your racism way. on your sleeve. I like it. A lot of people think that way. That's, that's good. Right, I mean, and, that, and that's the problem. The, the, the premise in general, like, that person is clearly angry about having diversity hiring in place. Right. When it, they're it, saying you're not the right kind of minority. But I just, I don't, I can't see him actually outright saying it there. And like, like I, I have, I absolutely believe that this was believed and it was discussed in other settings and it was talked about behind the scenes, but the way that he describes it of just right in the middle of the interview, this person like, Oh, you're just not the right kind of minority for us. Like that. I have a hard time. Like, I don't know why you're so, why you're so amazed because it's, it's just so stunning. Again, you aren't around people who do that often. Yes. Behind people's backs. Yes. Yes, of course. You see that all the time. I was at a get together yesterday it was a very diverse get together. There were several African Americans there, and in another room, someone starts like grumbling because there's a picture of George Floyd on the TV. They're like, "Oh, this again." I'm like, "What?" Like, I'm not even going to get into the, how insensitive and you know, ignorant and annoying the, it is. But I'm like, Fred, but Steve, that's uh, people are drinking probably, and they're like sitting around, and like you said, they're in a different room. I completely understand so the work, that. So the NFL work environment, there's a much higher standard. I don't a, think there is. In a one-on-one job interview, yeah. like, I just can't you imagine. You're comfortable, man. Eh, you're closer to one of us. But again, but again, I'm. That's what it is, right? That's the way people think. I'm. Oh, you get it. I'm all for this. I, I really don't. I don't know what you're talking I'm about. I'm all for this of just like, hey, wear your racism on your sleeve. Just put it out there so, you know. so that we know. Like, I'm all for that. That's That's good. Not good that you have those feelings, but it's good that the that that feeling is known and it's out there. Raider schedule is out. We've been talking to uh, folks who cover There's no the way. opponents. <laughs> Cincinnati's coming to town in November, so up next we're going to go to a guy uh, who writes for the Cincy Inquirer. Tyler Dragon is going to tell us about the uh, Bengals this season. We also trying to find out, you know, how big is the demand going to be for each of these cities and their fans to come to Vegas. We'll find out from Tyler. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. The Nuggets, Mike Malone, and Coach... Michael, Michael Malone. Michael Malone, my my apologies, Coach. I'll get that right here in the playoffs. Uh, it's Cofield and Company on the road. It's going to become the whole show. I mean, you could play it 40 times. I'll laugh every time. One of the more annoying moments. I don't get it. I don't get it. Let's get into the Bengals. Bengals are here in November. We've been talking to uh, media members who cover the teams that are coming to town. Now that the schedule is out, we actually have opposing fans in the building and Raiders fans in the building. Ty Dragon is up. How, uh-oh. Don't it's, hang up on us. Don't hang up on us. Go ahead, do it. Tyler. Okay. Tyler Dragon. Do you, you hate the, You got to get Michael Malone right too now. <laughs> do you do you hate Ty? 
I, I mean, my mama called me Tyler, so you're going to call me Tyler. That's a coming <laughs> to America reference. That's a good one. Good. That's, good. That's a good one. We're, we're, uh, we're really trying to investigate this the rest of the week. So I think we're going to have a hang-up at some point during the week. Yeah. Someone's sure. going to lose it. <laughs> so it's, it's Stephen Cofield, even though I go by Steve. And uh, Adam is just Adam. So. Yeah, there's nothing you can do with my name. It sucks. I wish I did. Oh, you wish you had the, for- yeah. the formal version? Yes. All right. Well, Tyler Dragon's with us. We appreciate you coming out. We appreciate you laughing at our childishness. Um, <laughs> right out of the gates, uh, I, I just wanted to get some reaction on uh, the Bengals fans finding out that they potentially could have a Vegas trip on the schedule. Yeah, well, and then there's probably going to be fans in the stands, so they're definitely excited about that. Vegas is uh, a good road trip for everybody, for re- NFL reporters like myself and fans. So they are definitely excited uh, to check out that new stadium and to be in Las Vegas. So I expect a lot of Bengals fans to fly to Vegas maybe on a, a Friday morning. Uh, so they have Friday night and Saturday before the game on Sunday. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. They may, the hotels here may enforce three-night minimum stays. We're, we're getting people here. We are getting people. When you come to town, we're getting you. <laughs> I might even too come on a Friday. We'll see. There you go. Well, the – I mean, I guess the question that that leads to is like, are people ready for what that means? Like, have they looked at the at the prices yet? Have you talked to anybody that's like, oh, I can't wait to go to Vegas? Like, wait, how much are tickets? <laughs> you, you know, I haven't really talked to uh, fans in particular about uh, the Vegas game, but I can definitely imagine that some with deep pockets they do not mind the pricing of tickets, and you know, a lot of people just go to Las Vegas just the atmosphere and don't even go to the game. I'm sure you you guys are aware of that, just being there and going to a casino or maybe a bar and watching the game and just being in Vegas while your team um, favorite team is there. That is also an option for fans, not only Bengals fans, but fans across the country. For sure. We mentioned the excitement of potentially coming to Vegas. What is the excitement level for the fans about Joe Burrow? Because I'll, I'll say this, like one of the one of the most intriguing things to me this offseason has been so many people talking about Joe Burrow like he's coming off like the greatest rookie season ever. He got hurt, showed some signs of promise, but it's not like he was on pace to set every record in the book or anything. Well, he was on pace to break several rookie records. And when he got hurt in week 11, he was a, a front runner with Justin Herbert to win NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. So... The excitement, the enthusiasm, it is valid. He was um, definitely deserved that number one overall pick by the Cincinnati Bengals, and he played like the number one overall pick. Now, when he got hurt, that their season really went into a tailspin, and they really did not recover. So the fans, they have every right to be excited about Joe Burrow because when he was on the field, he proved worthy of that number one overall pick, and he was on a short list of offensive rookie of the year records, and he was on pace to break multiple NFL rookie records. What's your concern, Adam? Verbalize because I know you're, you're you're not anti you're not you're not anti you're not anti Justin Herbert, but you've told everyone even with a year like that, pump the brakes. What's your yeah. concern with, uh, with historically bad deep ball thrower last year? Really, it was it was atrocious. Now I will uh, give you that he does does struggle throwing the deep ball. Um, that is something that he needs to work on. Uh, us reporters have asked Zach Taylor about that and Joe Burrow about that. He averaged only 6.7 yards per completion. 
that was near the bottom of the league for uh, starting quarterbacks last year. Uh, he doesn't have a strong arm. I don't think I'm breaking any news here. He doesn't have a Justin Herbert arm or, you know, a Josh Allen type arm by any means. However, he is smart. He's a quick processor and he's accurate throwing the football, um, those intermediate routes that those and those short uh, passes. He is really accurate in that. So the Bengals, they don't necessarily need him all the time to push the ball downfield 25 plus yards and, um, so I do expect them to occasionally, you know, throw deep to, you know, his new weapon, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins of last year. But the deep passing, they're probably not going to be a lot from the Bengals. Like I said, he only averaged 6.7 yards per completion last year. So I expect that to be near the same, maybe a kick up, maybe to seven. Uh, but I don't expect Joe Burrow to just miraculously come out guns blazing and throwing the ball deep downfield five, six, seven times a game because that's just not his style of play and that's not his strength. It will help that they went and got him not only a weapon but also a weapon he's very comfortable with uh, in Jamar Chase to to work with. Were you surprised they made that selection? I know a lot of people were talking about going Panay Sewell, but listen, the Bengals are actually not atrocious at tackle. It's the interior of their line that needed a lot of help. So uh, I thought Chase was a good pick. What did you think? Well, you're you're on the right track. I, I've said numerous times on the record, if I were the Bengals GM, I would have drafted Panay Sewell. I do think that the entire offensive line needs to be upgraded. And if you had a Panay Sewell and you have a Jonah Williams who you drafted in the first round a couple of years ago, you kind of stabilize those two tackle spots for years to come. Now, as you said, guard play was the worst <laughs> of the Bengals' <laughs> offensive line last year. Michael Jordan struggled uh, playing guard. I mean, the guard Michael Jordan, not the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> where people get mixed or, up. Or the that. actor. That would yeah, be a struggle. He's kind of old. <laughs> or, or Michael B. Jordan, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's true, too. Xavier Tuafilo, he was in and out of the lineup uh, due to injury. Quinn Spain uh, came up on the fly and really uh, started to come on, but he came on late in the season and was really playing pretty much with his hair on fire because he didn't know the system and the offensive plays. But, you know, he served himself well at that guard spot. However, guard was really a position of weakness. So their second-round pick, actually, Jackson Carmen, who played tackle at Clemson, the Bengals expect him to play guard. And he has a real good chance to start at probably that right guard spot this year. Um, so to answer your question full Jamar Chase he was a good pick I understand why the Bengals picked him you know he was dynamic with Joe Burrow at uh, LSU that one year the national championship year he has established chemistry with him so I get the pick and they had a position of need at receiver at that X spot because AJ Green went to the Arizona Cardinals so they can plug him in AJ Green's X spot and put him in with Tyler Boyd in the slot and T. Higgins as their outside receiver because Zach Taylor likes to run an 11 personnel style offense with three wide receivers. I'll uh, I'll ask you what your projection is for next year by asking you this. If they do want to take a tackle, will they be in the top five next year to take one? That is a tough question. I have the Bengals projected to win six wins. Um, and maybe maybe seven. I would not be surprised if they won seven games and maybe even get lucky and win an eighth game. 
Uh, is that good enough for a top five pick? Uh, it, it probably is, or maybe right outside. I do expect them to draft in the top ten again next year. What you know, we we talk about Burrow and and the the fact that his season was cut short by injury. How much concern might there be for you know his health, uh, just kind of recovering? It wasn't just a, a normal knee injury; it was a pretty severe one. Yeah, he tore multiple ligaments in his uh, left knee, including his ACL. Um, his doctor said last week, and Joe Burrow has also said continuously over the offseason that his goal is to be on the field by week one. Uh, by all reports and everything that I'm hearing within the organization, is he is on track to play week one. Uh, and the Bengals, they're not going to let him get him out there unless he is 110% because they not only think Joe Burrow is the quarterback of the present, they want him here in Cincinnati for 10-plus years. So right now they say that he's unpaced, but the jury's still out. He still has a couple months to go in his recovery process. The prognosis for his type of injury is 9 to 12 months, and he's just past the six-month mark. Tyler Dragon with the Cincinnati Inquirer. We're talking Bengals are here in town to face the Raiders on November 21st. What do you think of the Raiders? What do I think of the Raiders? Well, they need to upgrade their offensive line. They did uh, draft Leatherwood in the first round. Uh, I don't know if that was a uh, – well, I do know. I think that was a little bit of a reach right there. Um, the receiving core, uh, this hit or miss, Derek Carr, uh, he's an inconsistent quarterback. I think he has good moments. Um, but overall, by and large, he's a little bit inconsistent for my like. I do like your tight end, like everybody else, uh, Darren Waller. I think he's one of the best tight ends in the National Football League. As far as your uh, the Raiders' defense, the defensive line is pretty good, but the secondary needs a lot of work. I think Casey Hayward is going to um, be a, a good pickup for the Raiders. Uh, he uh, was a really good cornerback for the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, while he was there, so he's a Pro Bowl-type cornerback. So the defense is a work in progress, especially that secondary, but the pass rush, I think, uh, is pretty good. The offense leaves a little bit, a lot to be desired. (laughs) Tyler Dragons with us. Uh, Bengals over-under is six-and-a-half wins. There's actually uh, a lean on the under. Can they go seven and ten, eight and nine? Can they go over? Uh, It's definitely possible. Their schedule uh, does work their advantage they start off with the minnesota vikings at home that's a winnable game uh, regardless if joe burrow is a hundred percent or not then they travel on the road to the sh- chicago and uh, face an, maybe an andy Cohen led bears team and the former Bengals quarterback or justin fields led uh, bears team that's a winnable game and then they go to pittsburgh uh they did beat the steelers on monday night football last year kind of shocked the world and uh beat their uh, arch-rival Steelers. So that's another winnable game that this Bengals team can win seven to eight wins. Uh, they do have a chance to win maybe three of their first four, uh, or dare I say four of their first five until they play. Um, the Green Bay Packers in week five, that's a game I definitely have them losing. So it, it, it's going to be uh, – it's going to be tough for the Bengals this year, especially in the latter portion of the season. They do uh, end uh, the regular season versus Baltimore, versus the Chiefs, and then they travel uh, to their in-state rival Cleveland Browns. So their back half is tough, 
their beginning of the schedule is easy, but I still have them around six to seven wins. So I think Vegas is on the right track. You, you mentioned some of those teams uh, in that division. Uh, what I guess what is the the thought process long term? Because like one of the things we we talk about the Raiders a lot is you can all you can do is build yourself and be as good as you can be, but you're going to have the Chiefs in front of you for a long time, and it's going to be very frustrating. For the Bengals, they're they're trying to go through this building process. They're trying to get to be as good as they can. But the Ravens might be the best organization in the NFL. They're in the division. The Steelers traditionally have been very good, and Tomlin is, is such a good coach. He's always going to be there. And to me, the Browns of the last two years might be the smartest front office in the NFL. Like that, That's a, a formidable group to be up against for the Bengals trying to build here. Yeah, you're exactly right. And Lamar Jackson is undefeated as a starting quarterback uh, versus the Bengals, and we've all seen that highlight a 40-plus yard run that he made the Bengals' defense look stupid. It was number one in all top plays. So, yeah, as far as the Ravens, I think they're the team to beat in the division for the next, not only this coming season, but probably next year. And the Cleveland Browns, they're looking like they're not going anywhere because they're building that organization the right way, and they're looking like they're on the right uh, track and the trajectory is going in the right direction. So when it comes to the Bengals, I, I think – they're right there close to the Steelers. Because when I look at the Steelers, their window of opportunity seems to be shrinking. Big Ben is at the latter portion of his career. I think Father Time is knocking down his door, and he doesn't really throw the long ball at all anymore. And His arm strength is really a question mark. That defense has lost some pieces. Uh, the offensive line is pretty much revamped. So, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Bengals, they're going to be probably fighting for third and last place in the division, in my eyes. And I think when it comes to this coming season, the Bengals are probably still a step away from the Steelers because Big Ben is still, he has the Bengals' number by and large. And Mike Tomlin is one of the best coaches in the National Football League. And, you know, that has to count for something, too. He can win a game by his game planning and his schemes alone, especially versus Bengals. He's on Twitter at the Tyler Dragon. So we got a Derek Carr is inconsistent, and the Steelers are really close to the Bengals. Man, be careful on Twitter. <laughs> be careful on Twitter. You, you start talking about Derek Carr in anything but glowing terms around Raider Nation, uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, I mean, I do like Derek Carr. Funny yeah. story, Derek Carr is actually went to Fresno State. I'm from Fresno, so and he used to go to my barber shop. So I do, oh, okay. I do know Derek Carr. We have the same barber when we're in Fresno, so I do know him. <laughs> there you go, Adam. If you ever you were asking the question, what is there to do in Fresno? Because I think Fresno is kind of cool. Now, you, now you got a cool barber shop to go to. There we go. One thing we found. <laughs> There's lots of things in Fresno that are cool, right, Tyler? Uh, I mean, Fresno's, a, Fresno's like their car. It's hit or miss. I mean, there's some great <laughs> restaurants. It's kind of hot. I, I figured you'd bang the miss. drum. It depends what you like. It's close to Yosemite. There you go. Depends <laughs> on what you like. That's not, a, that's not a glowing review of a city. All right, Tyler. Hey, we, we appreciate it. I do like Cincinnati, by the way, and I am one of the many backers around the country of the chili. So, oh. And Adam hates the chili. Okay, but I, so I like it. I, I do like Cincinnati, but I'm not really a fan of the chili. I like chili with substance, a lot of meat, you know, maybe some vegetables. Their chili, to me, is not really chili. It's kind of a sauce. Damn. Joe Burrow doesn't like the chili either, just for the record. Uh, Is that right? Just running a rough (laughs) shot over everybody here today. All right, Tyler, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. And be careful.
Derek Carr's inconsistent. Cincinnati chili is not good. You think it was it was it was? You put it on spaghetti with a lot of cheese. That's how it gets subs- more substantive. But do you think whatever as, the word is. as somebody who's trying to be the the face of the franchise and you know the face of the city? Yes. Do you think it was smart of Joseph to to say that he doesn't really like the chili? No, it's a disaster. They're going to hold it against him when he doesn't come back 100% from this knee injury. I got what you were doing. I heard it. Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. One owns a meat slicer, the other an air fryer. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. I mean, truth is, both of us own an air fryer. I have two. It's impressive. Yes. One's a little busted up, but, it, you know, in, when we can have big parties, make sure everyone's vaccinated, uh, I might have to pull out the, the second one as a backup. So. <laughs> can you have a big party and just have somebody at the door checking vaccination cards? I guess we could. That'd be awesome. I Why, w- that's I the party you'll come to just so you can bring out your card? I want My to card's go laminated. Yeah, I want to go somewhere where I can just flash it. So we're at Bailiwick. We're at Bailiwick. Uh, great on the high-end food, right? Awesome chef features. Salmon filet, filet mignon, prime rib, ribeye steak, steak and lobster. You could also get the small bites. They just brought out the pretzel. What do you say? I mean, you're a sucker for a giant pretzel. It's ridiculous. Especially one that, like, hangs from oh. a hook. Yep. Like, you're all in. Well, there's, so, a, whole, there's a whole game there. How do you break it up? Who's going to mess it up? I've seen, I've seen the hook tilted over onto the ground. People mismanage the pretzel Ooh. on a hook. They pull the whole thing over. And you're like, now, disaster. I mean, the, the managing of the pretzel seems easy. I mean, you just have to go from the bottom up, right? Man, people start breaking it on all the way up top by the hook. Well, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, I I have for forever said the same about nachos, which uh, when you're sharing with a group are a disaster. I think you want nachos. You want community nachos outlawed after the pandemic, right? That's what led yeah. to all the the outbreaks of the flu. Mostly yeah. nachos. Mostly sharing nachos. Yeah, but I mean, I, I that was a joke. I think it is. I think it's true. Not here. I think it's course. true. Um, but yeah, just people just don't understand. Like, if somebody's going to take. You know, well, you're really the nacho that makes everything fall apart. Yeah, you're really caught up on the on on someone just taking too large a chunk and all the cheese and whatever. It's not meat even you too large. There. Sometimes it's it's sometimes it's a real small chip, huh? but it's an in, it's an integral chip to the uh, way the structure is put together. Yeah, I mean, a stack of nachos is like Jenga. It is, except when when you lose, it ruins everybody else's meal. No one laughs. <laughs> Jenga, everyone no. laughs, and you restart. It's true. There's much more at stake with a. Freaking plate of family-style nachos. Uh, garlic fries, pretzel, nachos, chicken wings, all on special during happy hour up until 6 o'clock. Bailiwick inside the Orleans, two bucks off. All alcohol beverages. How about that? Today I decided for the Fat Pack to check our favorite competitive eating news site. Okay. Our favorite. Eat Feats. Sure couple of things going on right now. Uh, first of all, uh, Mashed, we'll have to link this out, has an article, quote, the untold truth of competitive eater Sonia Thomas. Mm. She's gone. She has disappeared from the scene, from the competitive eating scene, from uh, these IFOCE events, from MLE, Major League Eating. 
International Federation of Competitive Eating, IFOC. Sure. She has disappeared. So I'm, I, I haven't read it yet. I'm getting ready to jump in feet first on that one. Is this like when uh, was it Jeff Perlman went and found our, our buddy uh, Sports by Brooks? Could be. I still don't have an answer. I don't know what happened. Do he, was, we... he was like one of the original bloggers. He just disappeared for 10 years. He's the Dave Chappelle of bloggers. Although I don't think Brooks was offered like you know $15 million. He's like, I can't. Sure. I don't like it. I can't do it. Do we, I'm out. Do we in the end learn? I guess you don't know. You haven't read it yet. I, I'd like to know that we actually learned what happened. It doesn't end us... On like some still mystery, like the we talked about the QAnon documentary, where you actually do learn at the end who started the whole right. Who is Q? The whole thing. You you learn who is Q. Yes. Like I'd like to know. I would like to know before I start watching that there is a resolution to this. I'll read it for you so that you don't have to waste okay. your time. I'll do that for you. Woo, um, uh, Chestnut's back soon. Three Rivers Fest coming up this week on the 29th. I'm assuming that's P- Pittsburgh. Sure. Probably like a pierogi or something. No, surprisingly, uh, yeah, Joey's there, Jeff Esper. Um, it's actually in West Virginia. They're doing a pepperoni roll eating contest. I think Joe Chestnut has to be a favorite, right? Joe or Joseph? Joe. Look at how the picture they got. That is, they're bready. Those very are very, bready. very rich with bread. Yeah, it's a lot of. Bread. There's not a lot of pepperoni there. That can't actually be. You think that's accurate? I mean, it, they look yummy. It looks like a picture of the event. Yeah, they look yummy. By the way, the table in front of us is wide open. It is. Two people came up and they were like, "Why are these guys talking about pepperoni rolls? What's going on here?" Yeah, we came to watch a sports show. They moved. They should. Uh, I don't know if I would eat that thing. Uh, I would eat it. I don't think I could eat a lot of them. I If that's – I don't think that. We'll send out a picture of this. This is not – I have no idea if Chestnut's a, a strong bread guy. And then if it's that much bread, you're dipping the whole time, aren't you? Well, he – I mean, he does eat hot dogs. I'm what. So what I'm saying is – but that's a little thicker than a hot dog roll. But is this just pepperoni dipped in water and just soggy pepperoni with mushy bread? That takes yeah, some you're discipline. not you're not going for taste when you're doing this thing. It's it's all functionality. So I think you just dip right in. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. About two hours and 40 minutes from puck drop of Golden Knights game number five against the Wild. Jonathan, Johnny, John, Von Tobel is with us. John, I don't know if you've been listening, but we're very wrapped up in the fact that uh, Michael Malone is very much into being called Michael Malone. That was so weird. I, I, I didn't uh-huh. really understand. Like, and like The thing is, like, as far as I know, he's been called Mike Malone for like ever. I don't really listen to interviews a lot, so I wouldn't know if they call him Michael. But, like, that was a really weird moment to correct her. I don't know, man. It was kind of off. I didn't really understand what his problem was. So you wouldn't snap at somebody for calling you Johnny or Jonathan? Well, not really. Like, look, I do a, a regular spot with our neighbors in the north up on TSN Radio. They've called me Jonathan Van Tobel for, like, two months now, Damn, and I man. haven't corrected them. 
Okay. So like, <laughs> and like the guy who does the show actually even like gave message me the other day. And he's like, I just realized I got your name wrong. Like, Dad, don't worry about it, man. No, no, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> it was weird. Well, I mean, uh, there was basketball played yesterday. Uh, just your general thoughts after one game in each of these playoff rounds. Like, is there anything standing out to you? Not necessarily about a particular team, but just about what we've seen so far. Well, I think first off, and I like, I feel like if you're the NBA, you have to love the way the playoffs started, right? Like every single one of these games is pretty freaking good. Like, I, there was not really a dud for the most part in any one of them. So, I, I think just from an entertainment value, it was cool. I, I thought it was. I don't know how much you guys watched of the Hawks Knicks game, but I thought the environment was insane. Like that oh, yeah. was actually really cool to like watch like a packed house, which I think they said what it was like fifteen. It it felt like like twenty. Like it was nuts. I don't know how many people well, were in there. John, uh, as you know, there's nothing like Madison Square Garden for a big game. At least that was <laughs> tweeted five hundred times yesterday. Nothing uh, like yeah, it, man. There's no other there's, arena like the Mecca. There's no other basketball arena that would pack itself up if they were allowed to. Yeah, you're right. That's a very true fact. Um but, no, like, the environment was cool. So, I think the NBA's got to be happy. But I think, Adam, from, like, an actual, like, hardcore statistical standpoint, what was really interesting was the home teams were absolutely awful from beyond the arc. Home team shot 27% from beyond the arc. Road team shot over 38%. So, like, it was this weird dynamic where these home teams were having just awful game shooting. We can get to some of the specific teams and some regression, but no home team shot better than 33% in any of the game ones from, from three. And I thought that was just like a weird statistical anomaly that'll correct itself. That's just a weird thing to happen for all of these home teams over an eight game stretch all in different spots, you know? Well, the Clippers were at home. They lost. Yep. It's over, right? They're done. Okay. And the, the Clippers game wasn't the only one. Like, and I get it. Like there's fandom and like, you don't like certain teams. Did we forget that these are best of seven? Like I saw so much of like, Yep, Clippers can't play. I saw, I saw people actually tweeting out, Clippers take too many three-point shots. Clippers, <laughs> they got no idea what they're doing. They have no real defender. This season's over. Clippers going to clip. And it's like, what are we doing? Like, we've seen multiple teams lose game ones and then go on to win the series 4-1. Like, I get it. If you get caught up in the moment. But I think if you look at the Clippers statistically, what they did in that game, right? They're the home, one of the home teams we're talking about. They shot 27% from three guys. This is the number one shooting team of the league. Shot over 41% from beyond the arc as a team all season long, over 72 games. They shot 27% from three. I think that's going to correct itself. And yet, despite the fact that they only shot 27% from three, they actually put up an offensive rating of 120 against Dallas. And Dallas shot 47% from three. So, like, there's so many good positive regression, like, coming for a couple of these teams. The Clippers are one of them. Like, they're going to shoot themselves back into this thing. They're going to shoot a lot better than they did in game one. They have the on-ball defenders to do it. All accounts are that Ty Lue is going to get his head out of his you-know-what and actually put Kawhi Leonard on Luka Doncic, where they didn't understand the game plan in game one. Looks like he's going to adjust there. Like, this is a pretty good bounce back. I bet the Clippers are minus 145 to win the series. I think this is going to be a series in which they will win, and I feel comfortable because I think they're going to even this up tomorrow. John Von Tobel is with us. Uh, Nuggets. That was interesting. Uh, the defensive game plan. Is anyone else going to step up aside from the Joker? Well, here's the thing, though, Steve. Like, I, I, like the defensive game plan. Like, I didn't hate. It's like when when Lamelo or Lamelo. I got Lamelo Ball in the brain. I don't know why. Uh, when Damian Lillard is pulling up from like the logo as he usually does, or when he's like taking a screen and guys are going, you know, over it and he's just pulling up the second he gets an inch of daylight and he's nailing some of these threes. 
Like, what are you really supposed to do? And I thought, again, like, so as we look at the shooting, and that's kind of the theme to these game ones, you know, Denver, one of those teams that at home shot very poorly, 31%, even though they're a top-10 shooting team from beyond the arc of the season. But one of the things, like, you look for sustainability, right? And I think one of the things that's very sustainable for Denver is the fact that they shot over 70% within four feet of the basket on 27 attempts against one of the worst interior defenses in the league, right? So you have a massive matchup at the front court that is in your advantage, your way of offense was consistent enough, so I think it's sustainable over the course of the best of seven series. And on top of that, I think your shooting is going to regress. Like, Portland is not a team that attacks within four feet of the basket. They're not a team that defends within four feet of the basket. They're so reliant on perimeter shooting and having good shooting nights that every once in a while they're going to shoot 47% from three like they get against Denver. But to me, the more sustainable offense is the one that has the easier buckets, which is inside. So I think Denver's still pretty live here. I think it's going to be a seven-game series, and I think they're still pretty live to win it. Heat down twelve to two to start. Yes. Get plus eight and a half right now in game. What do I do? Uh, well, I think. I mean, I guess you could probably take it. I laid four and a half with Milwaukee, so I'm hoping that they blow them out. I mean, like, so Milwaukee's another one of these teams, right? I know it gets kind of redundant, but it's really important in the postseason over these best of seven series. Again, not just one game; it's not single elimination. Milwaukee, another one of those teams, sixth in three point shooting. Steve, they shoot sixteen percent in game one, and yet. They also dominate within four feet of the basket, and a team in Miami, who's the 19th best shooting team, shoots 40% from three. So you expect both of those things to kind of regress to the mean here. And, of course, what happens, they actually hit a couple of deep shots just now as I'm sitting here talking to you guys. So I I thought this was a really good spot for Milwaukee. So I would say maybe sit back and wait. They called timeout, obviously, to kind of stop the bleeding Miami did, but they they could open this up a little bit more. You can get a better number. John, we've referenced a couple cases of not overreacting to game one. Uh, I I was – I was laughing. Like it was almost better than any comedy I watched this weekend when I saw uh, Quinn Snyder asked if his team just shoots too many threes. Like <laughs> that's what it's what they like. Oh, clearly, it's not working in the playoffs. Like it's one game, dude. I, I like, and this is I, I hate to do this because I hate being this guy, but the NBA postseason is just this collection of people who watch potentially on Christmas and then maybe a couple of games down the stretch, and all of a sudden they know exactly how everything should be played. And, like, it's just it's kind of annoying because when I see that, or I see the Clippers take too many threes, and you realize that, hey, you know what? It's what the Jazz do. It's what the game plan is. It's how they won this many games and got the first overall seed. And then you realize, too, like, what Memphis did yesterday, guys? Like, they were incredible for mid-range. Dylan Brooks was taking so many mid-range shots. Is that going to happen every single night? Are they going to shoot 47% on those shots from, like, 4 to 14 feet? No, of course not. So, like, I'm with you, Adam. Like, it kind of drives me nuts when a lot of people will crap on the league the entire year and then check in and have all sorts of takes on something that they're completely wrong at. Like, just watch. Just pay attention. Do some reading. John, did you get any bets down on the uh, college football games of the year? No, I didn't. You know, like, I'm, look, I'm not going to bet on something I haven't been studying. I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I'm not supposed to admit this because we're all supposed to be perfect in the media. I was working so much on the NBA series prices at Visa, and I went in studio to help out Matt Humans, and he was like, "Oh yeah, we're opening up with college football games of the year." I'm like, "What? Like they're out?" So, <laughs> yep. Yep. so no, I, I did not bet on anything. Yeah, Alabama, Miami opened at 13, all the way to 17. Yep, Oops. and they're going to get respect. And look, I will say because we talked to Chris Andrews, who put him up over at the South Point, and you know he told us he thought that was going to go the other way that he didn't he didn't realize that there was going to be that much respect for Alabama early. And, and keep in mind too, for anybody out there. You know, these moves, they're, they're generally really sharp moves, right? Like, you know, you're not getting Joe Schmo that's waiting in line to bet college football games of the year when they're getting released in May. It's, you know, guys like Paul Stone, who's a renowned handicapper in college football, flies down from Texas to bet these things when he knows they're coming out. So generally those are respected moves. Yes. 
Joseph, Joseph Schmo? Yeah, yeah. Joseph oh Schmo. It's all day, John. It's, it's been all day. <laughs> and he just sits, he says it, and then he looks at me like, I don't get it. Like, I, I, I get what you're doing. <laughs> Gotta let it breathe. It's going to make me laugh all well, I, I do let it breathe. I don't respond, which the audience can just judge for themselves. Or, or in a vacuum, they have no idea what the hell's going on. John, what, what did you get down on Mickelson at 250 to 1? I did not. <laughs> I got nothing uh, because it's, I, I didn't really care. Uh, it's funny, actually. So the golf draft that Matt Eubens and everybody puts on, uh, I finished third. So I actually made a little bit of golf tournament. But, like, That's I went, awesome. I participated. I had a first round that I thought was awful, so I kind of stopped paying attention. And then, like, on Sunday, I get a text from Wes Reynolds. Hey, by the way, you finished third. I beat out Eubens by a shot. So I was like, all right. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, but, uh, hey, Mickelson was cool, like, I guess. You know, I, I didn't really get swept up in, like, you know, the moment of everything. I know there was a lot of comparisons to Tiger in 2019 winning the Masters. But, you know, from a betting perspective, Adam, you know, you mentioned it. There were some bets out there. There was, like, a $1,000 bet on Phil with the long odds. You know, I thought it was interesting that William Hill reported that they had 1% of, you know, the handle tickets uh, on Phil Mickelson but ended up still taking a loss because as it got closer to round four, they were still taking some mid-range or you know, some mid-round bets, things like that. And such, such long odds, 200 to 1. You know, if that hits, you're going to take a little bit on the chin. So they reported the loss. Uh, three other books reported the loss. MGM, points bets, and it was FanDuel, if I remember correctly. It's all by Dave Purdom over at ESPN Shock. But it was a cool moment. It was a cool betting moment. Longest odds to win a major since Louis Ustazen back in 2010. So I, I didn't really get swept up for the emotion, but I know a lot of people were really excited about it. John, were you well-behaved at your draft, your golf draft? I think I was. Okay, I had a birdie tell me that uh, someone who was around you, I don't know if you brought them, but someone told me that there was someone there with, like, a big beard who was just really loud and obnoxious, and I was like, I don't, I don't know who that is. Any clue? Well, uh, no, I don't know who that, who would that be, big beard and obnoxious. Maybe mm. you're making a statement, maybe you're making a reference that I'm not understanding, but. No, I, that's what that was told me, and I was like, I, they, the person was trying to make a connection to Ryan McKinnell, and I'm like, he's not a he's not golf draft guy, he's not, he wouldn't be there, and he's not, and John doesn't like him, so. Uh, wait, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. All right, John. We'll see you later. All right, see you guys. Yeah, I got, I got someone complaining. They said I think the the, uh, the golf draft because you guys have done this these drafts forever. You weren't in it. You weren't invited. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. Why? Golf draft. John doesn't follow golf. He's in his third. He could win money. He. he what does. if you you probably get you probably would have drafted freaking Mickelson. I wouldn't have. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. No, no one would. Even if, even if you told me you'd give me a hundred dollars to draft, I wouldn't draft him. Well, that's stupid. He won. Do you Don't know care. golf or not? Don't care. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.